This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Would you turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. If you're new here, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. We're just teaching through a book in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians. It was written in the middle of the first century by the Apostle Paul. And the section we're going to be on today is on page 559 in the Bibles in the chair racks. So if you don't have a Bible in the chair rack under you, you could grab one and I'd encourage you to do so. Turn to page 559 and you'll be able to track along with us. We're going to cover a pretty big section, 25 verses today on the subject of tongues, speaking in tongues and prophecy. This is what Paul addresses in this passage of scripture. So here's where we've been studying. Uh, We've been on spiritual gifts. So chapter 12 was all about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 was about love. That's what we looked at last week on Father's Day. And we learned that really Paul's emphasis in these chapters is it's not how gifted you are, it's how loving you are that really matters. And so today we're going to begin a two-part look at tongues and prophecy. The whole chapter of 14 talks about what these gifts are and how they are to be used. And Paul explains that these gifts are to be used in love. So it's, we're not like done with the love chapter, like that was an inserted poem in the middle of a spiritual gifts talk. We're still living in the good of chapter 13. And what he's going to do in chapter 14 is he's going to say, look, the Corinthians are a mess. He doesn't say that. That's not in the Bible. That's my interpretation. But the Corinthians are a mess, uh, and they are abusing the gift of tongues. And so he's going to explain to them, what does love look like when you get together and people have different spiritual gifts? How does that work, and what does that look like? So everything he's talking about here is, uh, is really continuing from chapter 13. So I'm going to actually read the last verse of chapter 13. And then because this, this is all pretty involved, uh, I'm going to read a section at a time. We're not going to read all 25 verses at once. I'm going to read a section at a time. So we'll read some and then talk about it. And if you're new here, uh, and you say, wow, I didn't even know, this is probably not what I was guessing was going to happen when I came to church this Sunday, uh, and I don't know anything about this. Well, just, just so you know, like many of us don't know anything about this. So this is, it's not like ever, this isn't like old hat material for our church. This is new for many of us. So uh, don't worry, we're all new to this topic, or many of us are, and uh, we're just going to walk verse by verse and, and learn and uh, see what the Lord does. So let's listen to God's word. Start in 1313. And then I'll go through 14.5. So, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 
Let's pray. Father, we come today, we thank you for your word. Uh, We confess, uh, many of us confess just our ignorance on this topic and our lack of experience. Uh, Lord, and those of us who do have experience with these gifts, we just confess we, we need your training and equipping in the Scripture so that we might have faith to stir up the gifts that you've given us. So, Lord, whether we are brand new learning something we've never heard about, Uh, whether we are hearing something that we've heard of before and you're calling us to be renewed by your spirit into the practice of the gifts you've given, we just pray that you would speak to us. And we pray ultimately that we would pursue love as you have pursued us in love in Christ. Lord, may the gospel be on display as we think about this passage and may we be motivated by your grace to build up your people. Lord, speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I will, after the second service, do a Q&A time. I'm assuming you have plans after this service, but you're welcome to come back if you'd like to. Uh, I'm going to do Q&A on this subject afterwards. Okay, chapter 12, spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, emphasize love. And now he brings it together. Look at verse 1. Pursue love, that's chapter 13, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That's chapter 12. So he gives us a list of gifts in chapter 12, and now he, then he told us how to love one another. And then he brings it together and says, pursue love, earnestly desire our gifts, especially verse 1, that you may prophesy. So what Paul is going to do in this passage is he's not just randomly picking two gifts out of multiple gift lists. There's, there's a, gift, a spiritual gifts list in Romans 12. There's a spiritual gifts list in 1 Peter 4. Um, there are some offices that are gifts, people that are gifts in Ephesians 4. And so he's not just picking two gifts. What he's doing here is he's taking what we'll see as we go through the gift that the Corinthians love, which is speaking in tongues. And they're crazy about that. And he's highlighting the value of prophecy over against speaking in tongues in the worship service. And here is his point. It's all about love. It's about building up the church. His point is that we are to exercise spiritual gifts intelligibly so that the church is built up and so that unbelievers are welcomed. That's what this section is going to talk about. We are to exercise gifts intelligibly, which means not intelligently, but probably that too, but intelligibly, which means understandably. It's something that's understandable. So he says, exercise spiritual gifts in an understandable way so that the church is built up and unbelievers are welcomed. So I'm going to talk about the church being built up and unbelievers being welcomed as the passages, but I want to start with talking about the difference in tongues and prophecy, because that's where he starts. The difference in tongues and prophecy. Here's the first truth he says. Tongues, speaking in tongues, is speech to God. It is not speech to people. It is not speech to the congregation. The word translated tongues in the New Testament means languages. So we use that too. We say, what's your, you know, what's your mother tongue? I suppose it would be Spanish. It would be the Texas mother tongue. But uh, if you go back to our history, but what's your mother tongue? What, what do they speak where you're from? Uh, and so we use tongues in the same way. It means languages. And so he says in verse 2, the one who speaks in a tongue or a language speaks not to men but to God. So tongues is speech to God, not to men. I'm trying to get it straight from the Bible here. That's what it says. Tongues is speech to God, not to men. Uh, Secondly, tongues is unintelligible. 
It is not understandable. That's what he says next. For, the one, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So the person who is speaking in tongue, tongues is speaking to God, first of all. Secondly, he's speaking something that is not, uh, that's a mystery that's not understood by the person speaking it. And we're going to see in the chapter, not understood by those who gather around in the congregation either. So it's speech to God. And so that's why Paul calls it prayer. When we think of talking to God, we typically talk of prayer. And that's what Paul says tongues is, is that it's prayer. Jump down ahead to verse 14 in this same chapter. He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So sometimes we think of, uh, and, and he's talking about praying in, in tongue there from his spirit. Um, and sometimes when we think of speech to God, and I'm talking about English, uh, we think of that being prayer, or it can be praise. When we speak to God, we could be praising him. And Paul says that's another use of tongues as well. Look down at verse 15. He says, uh, I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit. I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks, so he says praise and thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So it's speech to God in a language that the speaker does not know. Paul's point is that other people don't know it either. And if you do this out loud at church, then how's anybody else going to thank God? You may be thanking God, but they're not going to be thanking God because they can't understand. Tongues is speech to God, not the congregation. Tongues is unintelligible. So it's a spiritual gift that enables a person to praise God or to praise God in a language that he or she does not know. It is not congregational speech, speech addressing the congregation. On the other hand, prophecy, and this is his point, prophecy is the opposite. Prophecy is speech to the congregation. Look at verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and a consolation. Do you see the contrast? Tongues, speech to God, he says in verse 2. Prophecy, speech to people. So right off the bat, he's saying, look, one is better than the other in a public context because this addresses people. Prophecy literally means to speak for, to speak for. So he says, uh, the one who prophesies, the one who speaks for, speaks to people. So the implication here is that prophecy is speaking for God. It's not so much having to do with telling the future. That's not so much when we think of prophecy, oftentimes we think of, uh, you know, foretelling. But really, a better way to understand prophecy in the, in the definition of the word would be foretelling. It's speaking for God is what he says. God reveals something, something, that something is then communicated to the congregation, and that report of that impression, that thought from God, that is called a prophecy or a prophetic word. The word here is just prophecy as used. That's probably what it's best to call it. So based on this and this whole chapter, theologian uh, Wayne Grudem has defined prophecy this way. And I think it's helpful, very, very basic understanding. Prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. And we'll see next week that the way this is practiced is it seems to be something that came to someone spontaneously. We'll see later in the chapter. So God puts something, 
communicate something to someone and then they tell that forth. Now, as we look at chapter 14, we're going to see it's not the same thing as Old Testament prophecy where someone's speaking authoritatively for God. Um, when Jeremiah prophesied and it's recorded or Isaiah did or even a minor prophet, Micah or something like that, um, th- what they said had to be obeyed. We'll see next week in this passage what Paul says is you need to weigh what is said. It needs to be considered. You didn't weigh what Jeremiah said. You just obeyed it. It was the very word of the Lord. So this is not the very word of the Lord for that, for that reason alone, that it's to be evaluated and, and weighed, we will see. But secondly, um, he's going to say later in the chapter that you can all prophesy one by one. Uh, so he says they can all use this gift. Uh, the idea, if you've been with us since September, you've seen that the Corinthian church is so excruciatingly immature at every level. People are drunk at the worship service. It, it's, it's actually hard to imagine that these individuals who are selfish, divided, suing one another in court, getting drunk, not sharing their food with one another, that these people are standing up in a worship service and speaking words like Isaiah that are to be recorded and obeyed forever. That is so far beyond anything I could even conceive of that God is speaking inerrantly through these people. It's a gift, but it's not a gift of delivering authoritative, inerrant word. The only authoritative, inerrant word is right here. There is no other place where anybody is communicating anything that has that level of authority. That's why when someone does share a prophetic word, I find it unhelpful to use language like, thus says the Lord, or something like that. Uh, because it would really say the elders will be the judge of that. Uh, Thus says the Lord, you're not standing up and speaking for God in the congregation as if it's inerrant or authoritative. And same is true with first-person prophecy. When someone is prophesying and and it sounds like they're channeling God and saying, I, the Lord, say unto thee, uh, well, if it's not the very word of God, we don't need to use language and act like it is the very word of God. That's confusing. I can't stand up and say, I, the Lord, say unto thee, and then stand up and say, well, that's not the word of God, only this is. Then why are you using God in first-person? person because you're acting like it is. So those are unhelpful practices that confuse the matter. We want to understand that there is one very word of God, it is the scripture, that prophecy is something that God brings to mind that must be evaluated by by scripture, is subject to scripture, and must be evaluated in the context of the church, either before or after it's shared. It must be evaluated for to see if this is something that is true. And really, everyone's a part of that evaluation, but someone's going to be responsible for governing that in the church. So prophecy is, Paul is saying, contrasted with tongues. Tongues is to God. Prophecy is to the congregation. It is a message speaking forth from God to the congregation. Next, he says, prophecy builds up the church. Look at verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. So there's nothing in here about future telling. There's nothing in here about, you know, saying, hey, uh, this is what's going to happen in five years in your life. Uh, it, it, it says it's for upbuilding, it is for encouragement, it is for consolation. The word upbuilding means, well, built to build up. Amazing. It means to build up. It means to uh, edify. Uh, that's the central purpose of the gift. It strengthens. It solidifies. It matures. 
I mean, the Corinthians needed this gift in spades. If this is a word that could build up the church, if this is something that could strengthen God's people, how they needed that because they're tearing down God's people. So it builds up. It encourages. The word encourage literally means to be called alongside. Is What it's saying is that when you gather and somebody brings a prophecy, that it is as if God is coming alongside his people to give them courage. That's what encourage means, to give them courage, to strengthen them. How wonderful is that? It gives hope and exhortation. It is also for consolation. A consolation is different than encouragement. Consolation, well, they could be related, but it's, it's different, really, than edifying or consolation, uh, I mean, or encouragement. Consolation means to comfort. So he says, when, saying to the Corinthians, look, you're standing up, speaking in, lang- in a language that you don't understand, that no one else understands, and every, many, maybe everybody's doing that in church. And uh, he's saying, really, no one's benefiting from that. It's not benefiting the whole congregation, at least. Not benefiting the whole congregation. But if you give a prophetic word that everybody understands, it's intelligible, then it, it brings comfort to people who are fearful. Think about people who are grieving, people who are depressed, people who are hopeless. Every Sunday at our church, all of those categories are represented. And the primary means of speaking and teaching and discipling the church is through the preached word of God, verse by verse, like we're doing now. But God also gives gifts, submitted to the scripture, but gifts. And the gift of prophecy brings comfort, he says. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. So would it be any surprise that he could lay a word on someone's heart that would comfort people who are suffering and struggling in the church? The Holy Spirit knows the needs of every person here the needs of every person. And sometimes he will lay something on someone's heart that will address those needs more specifically, perhaps than I'm even doing right now. So it is is something that brings comfort, brings to mind something that someone shares, and when they communicate it by the Holy Spirit, it brings comfort. Building up, encouraging, and comfort. Who doesn't need that? Who doesn't need that when we gather? That's why this is such a beautiful gift, and it's why Paul says, pursue it. Pursue it. Eagerly desire it. Eagerly desire it because it builds up the church. And if I, if I have that gift, if you have that gift, if I'm seeking to cultivate and use that gift, if I'm saying, how could I be used to encourage the church? There's other gifts. There's other ways to do it. This is just one. How can I build up the church? How can I comfort people in the church? Then that is love. That is thinking about other people. Um, And and that's what he is emphasizing here. So to summarize, tongues is a spiritual gift enabling someone to pray to God or praise God with words they don't know or understand. Prophecy is communicating something that God brings to mind that the church may be built up, encouraged, and comforted. Um, Everyone understands it. So tongues can build up an individual. Prophecy builds up the church, Paul says. And thus, when the church is gathered, he is uh, emphasizing prophecy. Verse 5, you know, I wish you all spoke in tongues, he says, verse 5, but even more that you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. If someone interprets what is communicated in tongues, then the church could be edified. But without that, The church is not edified. 
Why is that? Well, the next section teaches us that the church cannot be built up by what it doesn't understand. You can't be encouraged by what you can't understand. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Now we're getting a picture of probably what's going on in Corinth that he is addressing. He's saying it's not loving uh, to speak in tongues without interpretation because people cannot understand what you are thinking. Now, presumably the Corinthians thought that was spiritual. This is a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual practice that if I'm just standing up and speaking in a tongue to the Lord, that no one understands it, but that's okay. It's a spiritual demonstration of me, perhaps. And so that's probably what they are all about. And he says, look, you can't benefit people unless you bring something they understand. He says a teaching, a prophecy, a revelation, knowledge, something that people can understand. If you don't bring that, no one benefits. And he gives three analogies. He doesn't just give one. In case we'd miss it, he gives three analogies on how important intelligibility is in the church. The first one is, he says it takes distinct notes to make music. So he says in verse 7, if lifeless instruments such as a flute or harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? I don't mean to add to scripture, but if I could use a different instrument to convey what he is talking about here, have you ever heard a fourth grader at going to their, just having had their first violin lesson, okay? Think about that. And the point is, squeaks and squawks that only a mother could love do not make a melody. Squeaks and squawks are just that, but you wouldn't call it a melody. You need distinct notes in a combination that make music. Otherwise, it's musically unintelligible. And so that's his first illustration. You, even a musical instrument, if there's not some kind of order in, to it, it's unintelligible. And so it is if you're speaking a language other people don't understand. His next illustration is uh, distinct notes that give direction. He says in verse 9, like if a bugle, verse 8, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound so it doesn't play something you recognize, who will get ready for battle? So the bugle would have a specific battle call that when the soldiers heard that, they knew it was time to go to battle. But if you just play random notes that have no connection and the soldiers are going, what is that? Nobody's going to go to battle. Same thing. If people are standing up in a service, multiple, maybe all of them, many of them, one of them, I don't know. But if multiple people are standing up and speaking in a language nobody knows in the room, then how's anyone going to respond to that direction? Just like an aimless bugle. So you get his point. The next one he uses, illustration, is actually a foreign language. So there's many foreign languages uh, they all have meaning, but if I don't know the meaning, verse 11, the person speaking will be a foreigner to me, and I will be a foreigner to them. 
So have you ever been in a context where people are speaking a language that you don't understand? Maybe you've traveled somewhere, traveled abroad, and you don't know the language, and you're like, wow, I don't know anything that's going on. I feel so out of place. I feel so foreign. And he says, that's what's happening in the church. That people are standing up and speaking in languages they don't know and that nobody knows, and it is impossible to connect. It's like being in a context where everybody's speaking a language you don't understand, which is exactly what's happening. And so he says, this is a tragedy. People are coming to worship Jesus, to be instructed in the Scripture, to benefit from spiritual gifts, to be built up in their faith, and people are speaking in tongues without interpretation in that place. And the place that should feel like home feels like a foreign environment where people are disconnected. That's the issue here. He's not just giving prophetic etiquette and just how do we do tongues. and that kind of, he, He's talking about love here. He's saying this is really serious. And he uses the foreign illustration. Because you're like a foreigner to me. And a place that's supposed to be, this is my family, the church. I can't even get what they're talking about. I feel out of place. I don't have that gift. They're all going off. I can't relate. I'm disconnected. This makes no sense to me. I'm not being built up as a Christian. The church should be a place that feels familiar for the believer, not alienating. And he's saying you can use this gift in a way that it alienates people. He's trying to bring their attention to that. No one's going to respond to the call because they can't understand it, the bugle. It's not going to be beautiful and melodic and musical to people. Even if you sing it and play the three-chord tongue melody or whatever on the piano, I don't know. But even if you do that deal as a background pad and people are singing out, nobody gets it. It's not real music because it's not really connecting to people is what he's saying. So it's very serious. So he says in verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's the theme of the whole chapter. Strive to excel whatever gift you have, whether it's administration, whether it's praying for the sick and seeing God heal them, whether it's a word of knowledge, whether it's prophecy, whether it's leadership, whether it's teaching, whether it's mercy, Whatever gift you have, strive to see that other people are built up. Not that your gift is on display. That's what they're doing with tongues. They're not even thinking, this isn't helping anybody. The gifts are to be used to help other people. And they're to be intelligible, understandable, relatable. They're to connect with people. That's his point. And all of our gifts are to be that way. They're they're not exercised in a way that's super mysterious and odd. So people are like, what? But it's a way that people are saying, wow, I sense God at work there, and, 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 I, and I'm affected by that. That's what he's saying. Look at uh, verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret so that it will be intelligible. For if I pray in a tongue, my, heart, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, well, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. 
The one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret if this is going to be used publicly so that people could understand because the goal is that the church understands so that the church can be built up. Let me make two side points that aren't the central point of this but might be, I I think, are worth noting at least. The first one is this, that in chapter 12, verse 7, it says that God sovereignly gives gifts as he wills. But that is not a reason to be passive in the pursuit of gifts, to say, well, God will give me whatever I need whenever I want it. Because chapter, verse 1 of 14 says, earnestly or eagerly desire. And chapter 13 at least makes the case that someone could pray and ask for a gift. Verse 13 says, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. We find out in chapter 12 that the gift of interpreting a tongue is a spiritual gift. And so here there's a case of someone asking for a gift. doesn't mean that God gives it. He's sovereign in how he gives gifts. But there is a place to ask for spiritual gifts. There's a place to see a need and say, Lord, would you gift me to meet that need? That's the first thing. I think we can think because God is sovereign, that means I'm passive. No, God is sovereign, but I'm active in praying and asking and stepping out in faith. That's the first point. The second one is this, that while, it doesn't ex- while Paul doesn't really explain the nature of tongues in this chapter, uh, he does tell us that interpretation is not natural. It is supernatural. When he says pray for the gift of interpretation, what he doesn't have in mind is that someone could stand up in the congregation and just start speaking. They don't know German, but they just start speaking German. And there's a guy who happens to come in and say, yeah, I, I can, I can, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, my apologies. If you're German, I'm, that may have sounded, uh, that wasn't ethnic mocking, though. Well, it probably was. But anyway, it, should, it has no place in the pulpit. So, um, so he says, oh, they're speaking. Hey, he's praying. I know that prayer. Wow, how? Because, uh, like, I'm from Germany, and that's German. So it's, it's not something that is you know the language. What's happening in Acts 2 appears different than this. What happens in Acts 2 is that people are hearing in their own languages, that it is multiple languages being spoke for an evangelistic purpose, Uh, What's happening here is that he's saying, you need to pray that the person who is praying in tongues to God, uh, that you would be able to interpret it. Because if you can, then the interpretation could be shared and that could build up other people. The passage then moves on to explain something of this phenomena of tongues. It's prayer, Paul calls it, in the spirit. Uh, Prayer in a tongue, my spirit prays. It's, It's prayer from the deepest part of a person's heart. The mind does not understand what's being said, but uh, he says, I will pray both ways. I'm going to pray in, my tongue, in a tongue. I'm going to pray in, with my mind. So I'm going to pray with understanding. Without understanding, I'm going to sing with understanding. I'm going to sing without understanding. So he is saying, this is my personal practice. So is Paul saying that there's a way that you could bypass your understanding and speak to God and be edified by that? Well, that that's exactly what he's saying. That's what he's saying in this passage. Those around can't understand. They can't give an amen. Uh, He says, verse 17, you may be giving thanks well enough. God understands. So God may be blessed by this, but other people, they're not getting in on the blessing because they don't understand it. Uh, Then Paul says this amazing thing. The, 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 The picture you get of Corinthians is that it's just like a tongues fest. Next week we're going to say he has to limit. Hey, can we have like two or at the most three and like one at a time with an interpretation on this thing is what he's telling them coming up. So they're, they're really fascinated by this. And Paul says, hey, by the way, I speak in tongues more than all 
y'all. It's plural. All of y'all speak in tongues more than you. So is that hyperbole? I don't know if it's hyperbole or if it's literal, like if he knows how much they all pray. But here's the point. Paul prays in tongues a lot. Now, they may be surprised about this because he says, in the church, I'd rather speak five words that everybody understands than 10,000 words in a tongue. So where is Paul speaking in tongues? Because he does it more than all of them. Uh, Pastor and author Sam Storms, who's written a lot about this, he's a Acts 29 pastor in um, Oklahoma City. He's written a lot on spiritual gifts, very helpful. But this is what he says about that. He said, if Paul speaks in tongues more frequently and fervently than anyone else, yet in church he almost never does, preferring there to speak in a way all can understand, where does he speak in tongues? The only possible answer is that Paul exercised this remarkable gift in private in the context of his personal devotional intimacy with God. That, that makes sense to me. As I read this text, reading it straight, just taking it at face value, he says, this, I don't do that. I'd rather speak five words in a church, uh, but I speak in tongues more than you all. So he's saying for people to be encouraged and built up, they've got to understand you can't, you can't benefit from what you don't understand is what he's saying. So Paul will use this gift. Perhaps not in the gathering because he wants to speak edifying language that people understand, but he does use this gift in other contexts when he's not gathered with the church. Here's Paul's other point, and this one we're gonna, this one's a little dicey, so if you haven't read your Bible or skim along, you might want to read this. It's not dicey. That's not the way to say it. It's, uh, it's, it's confusing on the surface, I think. Maybe you think all this is confusing on the surface. Well, this is really confusing on the surface, this one. But, but I think there's a very clear and simple uh, explanation for it. So, believers can't be built up by what they don't understand. Now he's going to say unbelievers can't be reached by what they can't understand. So now his concern is unbelievers, not Christians. So here's a side point. Paul expects that unbelievers will be gathered with the church. And we should expect the same. And if you are not a Christian, we are thrilled that you are here. And if your head is spinning, stick around, ask us some questions. We will do what we can to help you. But this is the place you should be. God intends people that don't know God to be gathered in churches to hear the good news of the gospel. So that's a point that's really important. He's assuming in this section that there would be unbelievers present. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Close parentheses, he's quoting scripture. Thus tongues are assigned not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay, so now his concern is the unbeliever. And he says, don't be immature in your thinking. Okay, don't be children, verse 20. Don't be children in your thinking. Now be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So be innocent in evil, but don't be immature in your thinking. You're thinking childishly. 
And as a church, they're thinking childishly about this gift. Childish thinking is self-centered thinking. It's what about me? What about me? What about me? It's focusing on me. It's child, what is childish? Acts childish is drawing attention to oneself. Look at me. That's cute when you're two. But, but when you're an adult at church and you're getting up and using your gifts with look at me, that's childish. And he's saying, hey, guys, grow up. You're not thinking about other people. You're demanding your own way. Children don't have self-control. You're lacking self-control. So in essence, in essence, he's saying put a lid on public tongues without interpretation. He, he does not allow for tongues without interpretation publicly. Put a lid on that, he's saying, and begin to think about someone else. We've already talked about how this isn't blessing. He's big on the gift. I do it more than all y'all. But in church, look, this isn't going to be a blessing to other Christians because they can't understand. And it's going to repel unbelievers. It's going to repel them is what he says here. Verse 21. In the law it is written, quote, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What is that about? Well, this is from Isaiah 28, and it's a passage from a prophet speaking the very word of God, Isaiah. And in this passage, he has brought a prophetic word, a warning to Israel in their language, English, no, Hebrew. He brought it, he spoke to them in Hebrew, and he says, you must repent. And they don't repent. So he brings a warning that says, I will speak to this people by the lips of foreigners. So he says, because you have not repented, the next language you hear will be foreign language. And the language is the Assyrians uh, who invade Israel. So God brings a word uh, that they understand and they they don't repent. So the judgment is, then there will be tongues, lips of foreigners, that's the Assyrians historically, and I will speak to this people, and even then they won't listen to me. So what happens? The Assyrians come in, they take over, and the people of God still don't repent. They still don't listen. And the point of that passage is the foreign language represents a judgment that confirms them in their unbelief. They do not believe and trust in the Lord. They do not respond to the Lord. Then judgment comes, they hear a foreign tongue, and they still don't respond to the Lord. So he says, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, for believers. And he's about to say the opposite, because then he goes on to say, if an unbeliever comes and you're speaking in tongues, won't he think you are crazy. So how does all of that relate to the Assyrian situation? Well, a sign can be a negative or a positive sign. The quote he gives us from Isaiah 28 is a sign that is negative. It's a sign of judgment that confirms a person in their unbelief. And that's exactly what happens in verse 23. If the whole church comes together, everybody speaks in tongues, an unbeliever comes in, will he not say that you, and he enters, uh, will they not say you are out of your minds? So if everybody is speaking in tongues, which presumably was happening in Corinth, if everyone is speaking in tongues, someone who doesn't believe comes in 
What happens? They'll hear a foreign tongue, and like Israel, they'll be confirmed in their unbelief. It'll be, that's a sign of judgment on people, is what Paul says. When people hear something they don't understand, it is, it is a sign that God uh, is, is bringing a judgment. So you don't want to do that to people. People aren't going to walk in and hear everybody speaking in ch- tongues and say, oh, what must I do to be saved? They're going to say, I want no part of this craziness. I can't understand it. I can't relate. You are out of your minds. Unintelligible foreign language serves as a sign that is negative in this instance, and that's why he refers to Isaiah 28 to build his case. The bottom line is that he's saying, think about the unbeliever when you come and use your gifts, and particularly the gift of speaking in tongues. Think about the unbeliever. On the other hand, If you're prophesying, he says, if, verse 24, if all prophesy in an unbeliever or an outsider enters, it's totally different. His heart is opened up. His heart is disclosed. What he's thinking, somebody stands up and says what he's been thinking. And all of a sudden he says, wow, God is in this place. God is in this place. We, a number of years ago, we actually had a testimony in the waters of baptism with a girl who had given her life to the Lord and had this exact same experience. She was doubting. I, I forget that. I can't give all the details, but this is the general. She was kind of doubting um, her, because she shared this with the whole church. She was sort of doubting her relationship with the Lord, and she walked in, and someone was on the mic giving a prophetic word. I sense there's some people here today that are doubting their relationship with the Lord, and the Lord saying blah, blah, blah. And she said, the secrets of my heart were disclosed, and right then I believed in Jesus and gave my life to him. So we've actually seen that exact verse experienced on a Sunday morning in our congregation years ago. People that don't know the Lord, but they hear something shared that's like, whoa, that, that's relatable to me. That grips me. This is a positive thing. This is a positive sign. It's a sign what? That God is present, as he says. That's a sign that God is present. The sign of foreign language to someone who's not believing in God confirms them in their unbelief because they will say, we think you are crazy. So, That's why he advocates prophecy in the church. How do we apply this? Well, first of all, to apply it, I would say we go back to verse 1 and we pursue love. That's the message of the gospel. God has pursued us in love. Christ has given his life for us. Christ took our sins upon himself on the cross, died in our place, expressing the love of God to us, giving us new life, um, a new purpose, a new existence joined to him in union with him. He lives in us. We're connected with him. And then he not only forgives us, but then he gives us a life that is meaningful, that is to be lived for his glory and for the good of others. And so that we can live for his glory and the good of others, he gives us gifts. And those gifts are to be used to pursue love in the same way he loved us. Gifts have a gospel connection to them because they are something God has given so that we may use to build up his people and to reach the lost. In this situation, he says the gift of prophecy appropriately used can reach the lost. People who don't know the Lord are touched by that. So the first point is that we want to be pursuing love in all of our gifts. That is the very purpose. And one way we pursue love is to whatever gift we're using to make it intelligible, understandable, relatable to people who are Christians or not Christians either way. Intelligibility is a big point of this whole discussion. The real discussion is not about tongues and prophecy. The real discussion is how do I love others? And if they can't understand you, you're not loving them is what he's saying. 
It's about you and not them. So how am I using my gifts to make the gospel understandable, to make God's truth understandable to Christians? And how am I doing that to make that relatable and understandable to unbelievers? Which doesn't mean compromise the truth at all. It just means package it in a way that they understand. And so that, that affects, that's the big picture. That affects every gift. That's why we have children's ministry right now. That's why first graders are back there. A first grader could gather some of what I'm saying today, and you're welcome to keep your first grader in the class, if you, I mean, in the, in the worship service if you would like. But we also realize that there are gifted teachers who can communicate in language that is intelligible 100% of the lesson, intelligible to a child. So even having teachers use their gifts for for intelligibility, understandability purposes is a reflection of the heart of this passage, that that is loving to a person to make it understandable and relatable. So pursue love. Number two, eagerly desire. Eagerly desire. So he doesn't say, now again, if you're learning about spiritual gifts, you have to know what they are before you desire them. But he doesn't say, be okay with them, or you use them five years or ten years ago in your past, or, well, I'm not opposed to them, uh, but he says, actually, desire. Why? Because the Lord will use gifts to benefit other people. So desire them for the benefit of others, and especially prophecy, which builds people up. I wasn't at the prayer meeting this morning, but understood that was one of the themes of prayer was to stir up that that God would stir up gifts in people, and that's a burden. That's why I'm teaching through this. I'm teaching through it in a very teaching kind of orientation rather than an exhortative orientation so that we understand because you can't desire what you don't understand. But it's not enough to understand. We want to go beyond that and desire and ask, and I'm praying that especially the gift of prophecy, that those who have that, that the Lord would stir that up in them, would would and that, that you can fan into flame that gift that the Lord's given you. How do you do that? By praying, by waiting on the Lord, by asking him. If it's a gift that's gone dormant due to something in you, then repentance may be necessary. Lord, repent. I repent of selfishness. I, I haven't even pursued that gift because I haven't been thinking about it, because I haven't been thinking about how has the Lord equipped me to encourage other people, but you've given me that, and I want to upbuild. I want to console. I want to encourage. So I repent. I'm not saying everybody here who didn't prophesy this morning, we didn't have a word, would be that we're all, you know, we need to repent. That you may not need to repent. You may need to learn more. But there, there are those of us whose gifts have gone dormant. And if something's dormant, then repentance and then a restoration of desire and then an openness to praying, waiting on the Lord, uh, and asking him to stir that up. That may be appropriate. So eagerly desire. The last thing I want to say is this. Um, you may have felt that I bashed the gift of tongues today. I hope I was true to the scripture. I just, I didn't, I, I didn't try to have a bigger club than Paul did. I tried to have the same club he did, and he bashes it when used in public without interpretation. However, he also says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues in the chapter, and he all, that's verse, uh, Oh, benefit, I wish, uh, now I want you, verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues. He did say that, 
He did say in verse 18, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you because I'm sure they were going, oh, he just doesn't like this gift. He probably doesn't even have this gift or something like that maybe. He's going, "Uh, actually, I put you guys to shame, but I just love people and so I speak things they can understand in public. He probably didn't say it in a condescending way like that. But, uh, but But Paul says he uses that gift. So he's not down... He's not down on the use of of tongues and prayer and praise to God. He's not down on the use of it. He's down on the misuse of it. So I'm going to close with that and say that if maybe the Lord has that gift for you, if Paul has a desire that many people would do that, then maybe many people have that gift. I don't know how many people have that gift in our church. We don't ask that in new members' interviews. Hey, by the way. Uh, I mean, people may talk about their gifts, but we don't, we don't inter- interview and ask people that. So I don't know. Um, but if you have a desire for that, then that may be the Lord putting that desire on your heart. And you may need to go to him and pray and say, Lord, if that's a gift, I'm gonna, I want to receive that gift if you have that for me. If he doesn't give you that gift, then you don't have to get stressed out about that. We don't believe the Bible teaches there's two classes of Christians. Uh, there are those who have certain gifts and there's those who don't. That's Corinthian. We believe there's one class of Christians, all have the spirit, all are to pursue love. God gives different gifts, but he may give you that gift. And if so, don't, don't hear what I said today as a negative on the gift. It's a negative on the misuse of the gift. So ask the Lord and see if that's a gift he has for you. Not everyone has that. Obviously he says it in chapter 12. Does everyone speak in tongues? No. So not everyone does. He says in chapter 12, Uh, But neither does the scripture say two people do. Neither does the scripture say it's an unnecessary gift anymore because we have the scripture or all the apostles are dead. Doesn't teach that either. Teaches that this is a way that the Lord gifts people uh, for his glory and for the building up of his church. So be open because the Lord may have that gift for you. Be open. The Lord may have a prophetic word for you. Continue to be open to all the other gifts. The Lord may want to give you an increased gift of administration. When we heard the thing this morning, uh, the thing, the second story presentation, there was, we all were moved by that. Some of you were especially moved, and especially moved to action. You know why that is? It may be because you have a gift of mercy. And when that happened, you're like, yes! And you're listening to this, you're going, yeah, that's interesting, that's good. There's others in the room with the gift of prophecy, and they're going, yes, right now. So sometimes the Lord gives gifts, and you, may, they're, they're, you, you sometimes can judge by desire where the Lord is going to use you or how he's going to gift you in some way. So let's stir all the gifts up and ask for the Lord's grace in all of this. Um, let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.